G'day you mob, welcome back to The Goss, where I sit down with my dad on a weekly basis and have a bit of a natter, have a bit of a yarn. So, this week, I'm sitting down again with dad, this is the second half of last week's episode, and we are talking about the recent Chinese racist incidents in Australia because of COVID. Now, there have been a few racist incidents involving Chinese people being targeted, and we talk about, is Australia really a racist country? We also touch on immigration and cultural values in Australia and other countries like China and Japan. And we talk about conservation efforts for the Norfolk Island Moorpork Owl. So, this owl was incredibly endangered. The population had declined all the way down to a single female in the 80s, but it has bounced back. And then lastly, guys, continuing with the theme of Norfolk Island, we talk about why Norfolk Island was a literal hell on earth during the convict era in Australia and some of the peculiar things that convicts ended up doing as a result of it being so harsh an environment. So, with that aside, guys, kick the kookaburra in the tail and let's begin. What's happening with the Chinese racism in Australia at the moment? And that is not Chinese people in Australia being racist to Australians. That is apparently other Australians being racist towards um, Uh, Chinese Asian people. uh, This seems to be in the news. A lot of my friends are sharing it a lot. And I keep trying to, to, to say to them, like, yes, it's not okay. It's a big problem. But at the same time... It's getting blown out of proportion where I think there was a woman on TV saying when they were asking her what happened, what was the racist incident? And she said, someone rolled their eyes at me at the supermarket. And you're just like, what? Like, I know. Yeah. (laughs) And it's that and it's happening in other places as well. It's happening in It's happening all over the world. It's happening in America. It's happening in China towards uh, Africans and and Europeans as well. Yeah, exactly. Just people are afraid, right? People are afraid. It's that, you know, when people are afraid- nervous, anxious, I think their natural xenophobia will come out. And that's being xenophobic is is one. Well, I I think we're as a species, we are we're tribal. We've grown up in small we're we're small social group animal. Yeah. Look at chimpanzees as the closest thing to humans. Chimpanzees are small social group animals. They do not like outsiders. Yeah. They tend to kill them. (laughs) They do. And and humans have grown up being the same thing. Yeah, yeah, we've been tribal. We've fought other tribes for a million years, and so I think it is just a natural inbuilt tendency in our DNA when that these, says uh, something that is different we don't like. Now, yeah, that doesn't excuse racism at all. I just think it is a, it's an underlying natural behaviour that humans have to it's, not like something that's different. It's the type one, type two error sort of thing, right? Where yeah. it's it's better to, in terms of survival, assume, assume the worst and there not actually be a yeah. problem than to assume there's no problem and for and, there to really be one. Like if you yes. if you hear the tiger but there's no tiger, that's a better situation to be in than yeah. not hear the tiger yeah, and there be a tiger. Exactly. So if, if you're being racist towards someone or at least relying on xenopho- xenophobia as a a social construct or a social, you know, behaviour mm-hmm. obviously has a place because it it pays when it is helpful. Yeah, and that's and that's on an evolutionary basis. Yes. On a human cultural basis, there's no excuse for racism at all, ever. To to assume that 
somebody's an individual person's behavior is based on their race is so unreasonable at every level that yeah you know, even you look at the evidence and it's just not true well it's so hard though <coughs> so, isn't it because it is wired into us and i you know i think we're all to some degree not necessarily racist in that we think one race is better than another but definitely maybe xenophobic where you're you treat different groups differently because you don't understand them or yes. you fear their culture, right? Yeah. Like Christians versus Muslims or, you know, even if, if I were to suddenly find myself living in a town full of Indians or Vietnamese people, it wouldn't be that I thought that I was better than them or that they were below me, but I would definitely feel less comfortable yes. because I wasn't as familiar with the culture. Right. And so, I wouldn't yep. understand things, yeah. right? And that's where people don't necessarily understand that- the uncomfortableness is can then bleed into racism yeah. and and but and I, I think there's there are there's going to be a small minority of people in our population in any population in any country who are going to be you know just and I I'll use the term natural assholes yeah <laughs> they that underlying inbuilt bit of their DNA comes to the surface much more quickly and. The, you know, the, the cases where we've had, you know, we had a young um, woman of Chinese background. Um, turned out she was actually an Australian <laughs> well, that's, of Chinese that's, heritage. That is why I was, would never was be attacked, confident to attack anyone here, but, even if I was a racist. But she, I, she was attacked in the street in <laughs> Melbourne. She might have been here longer than I have in exactly. terms of my, my yeah, heritage. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, and look, there are others where we've got, you know, we've got hundreds of thousands of yeah, of. Broadly, Asian, you know, not just Chinese, but yeah. Asian and, you know, African and South American, uh, European um, students in Australia. Uh, even now, even we've got far less than we had a year ago, but even now we do. <laughs> um, and, and I think people will always have that underlying resentment as well. Yeah. Uh, a small proportion of people will. And now when we're in a situation where there is just this fear, um, it brings out people's you know, unreasonable behaviour. Uh, but... It's unreasonable in a sense that it makes no sense uh, that if you were yelling at yelling at a yeah. person who looks Chinese in the main street in Melbourne, <laughs> it's sort of like what she brought the coronavirus with her, like yeah. seriously. And, and by you- yelling at her, you prevent yourself from catching it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And but it, but you know that's being a you know, pre-coronavirus, and I, I actually don't think it's any more prevalent now than it was a year ago. The racism. The racism. Well, people are just paying attention it's to just it now. It, now yeah. It's the only story we can tell. Yeah. Um, I actually did a you know, little pot survey on the um, last two nights of watching the ABC News. And of the, and the, I do the ABC because it doesn't have advertising in it. So mm. that you can do a you know, half hour of news is a half hour of television. Yeah. Uh, and in a half an hour of television, there's four or five minutes of sport and there's about three minutes of weather. So you take out that eight minutes. So it's 22 minutes. 18 minutes last night and about 17 or 18 minutes the night before were coronavirus stories. Yeah. Now, the real coronavirus story is how many people died, how many people are, have been recently identified as having the disease, and what are the latest things, what advice from government. That takes three or four minutes. The rest of them are so-called human interest stories. And with all of us, and particularly with the media, Human interest stories are now are what went wrong stories. They're not the who did the right thing and all the good stuff that happens. They're who screwed up stories. Well, and they're so, the ones that get the clicks and the attention, exactly. Right? And so that's so, what you say, oh, yeah, racist that, attack in Melbourne, that, and everyone's like, oh my god, what yeah, happened? Exactly. If we'd had a if we'd had a, a woman of Chinese origin 
uh, attacked by another woman, incidentally, <laughs> in the street of Melbourne. Yeah, that was weird. A year ago, it never would have made the news. Well, it wouldn't have made any sense, right? No. It just doesn't have any broader It doesn't have any context. Yeah. yeah. Now, we're tying the context here. Yeah. We're assuming context, and, and it's adding to that whole coronavirus story. Do you think so, it's irresponsibility on the part of the media? Yeah, of course Because it it's kind of like yeah. they're saying, oh, my God, coronavirus is making the average Australian racist. Yeah. And it's, it's not, not it's happening. It's like saying, right? yeah, it's like using the, yeah, I beat my wife, but it's okay because I was drunk. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the underlying behaviour was there. All the alcohol did oh, yeah. was loosen your inhibition a little bit. I like you, I you crashed can't because use... I was drunk. It's like, yeah, well. yeah I'm sorry. <laughs> it, yeah, it's just, yeah, I, I, it's okay to be racist if it's coronavirus related, but I don't think so. Do you think so. Australia is a racist country? Yes, every country is. How would you describe it? Because I mean, people ask me that quite often, and I don't really know how to give them a, a solid answer. And I, you know, whilst you're describing it. Has the racism changed throughout time? No. Its targets have changed. Yeah. Look, I think Australia is, by and large, a very welcoming culture. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we... you And it's like... it's If you say Australia, Australia is a racist culture, the Australians are racist, you go, I'm sorry, there's 25 million Australians. How many have you counted and observed and watched and, and so on? Yeah. And th there will be a small minority of people who act offensively to other people based on race. Uh, we have moved away 60 years ago. We moved away from a racist government policy of the white Australia policy, which was in order to immigrate to Australia, you had to be of European origin. Um, Why was that brought... Was that a fear thing? Yeah, of course it was. Or, and was it just trying to maintain social homogeneity, like trying to keep everyone yeah. the same? Yeah. But the weird thing is, you know, we look at that as incredibly racist. We look back on the white Australia policy as massively racist. At the mm. time, there were no... You couldn't come in unless you were of European descent. So... But even then, you could come in as long as you were white, effectively. So, you could yeah. speak other languages, you could have other different cultures, you could still come in. You'd be an axe murderer, but, you know. We yeah. don't criticise China or Japan no. for having the exact same mm -hmm. setup. In fact, we, we support it. And we think, you know, good on them for supporting their own culture and trying to maintain their own culture. How do you square that? Yeah, look, it's, it is a challenging one. I think the difference with Australia is that, and places like America, um, a, to a lesser extent, some European countries more recently, but we're a country of immigrants. Yeah. You know, other than the single-figure percentage of people who identify as Indigenous in this country, everybody else is an immigrant. Well, yeah, The best case you can possibly have is about seven or eight generations of living in Australia. Unless, unless you've got unless an you're indigenous, indigenous one, yeah. yeah. In which and, case you'd have thousands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but but when you when you look at it that way, it's different to say what Australia's culture, Australian, you know, modern Australian culture is an immigrant culture. Yeah. We're a melting pot of hundreds of different nationalities of people. And that's different from Japan or China, where you know, Japan in particular, um, what is a hundred and something million people yeah, 99.99% of which could trace their Japanese heritage back generations. But not only that, I and think, so from what I understand, I can't become Japanese. No. I can't get a Japanese no. citizenship. I can't buy property 
in Japan. Yeah. Even if I live there, even if I have a job there, even if yes. I marry a Japanese person. You can person, go and live there and work there forever, but you cannot be considered to be Japanese. That, that, that's the that's weird- That's my understanding. The, yeah. the, I just can't get my head around that, though, in terms of we-, we um, What are they- There's a Portuguese expression that's like- um, one weight, two different measures or something yeah. like that, where it's like double standards effectively. Yes. And I don't get how the West is so self-denigrating in terms of anyone who says Western culture is amazing and we should try and preserve it. Not even a racial thing. Yeah. It's kind of like, ooh, that's a bit racist. You know, like- yeah. The thing your is, culture though, what, is not better what's than Western else. culture? Well, and yeah. that's, you know, <laughs> how you want to define yeah. it is whatever. Because it is, it is that, you know, that melting pot. Yes. Uh, now, there have been some, you know, obvious- recent cases, very recent cases of particularly some European countries with you know, mass immigration of millions of people from the Middle East yeah. who are coming in not with just necessarily different cultural views but different religious views. Yeah. And that is effectively changing the mix just on a numerical basis. Well, and you know, You've got yeah. Sweden with a population of, what, 10 million people and they've got a million immigrants yeah. that have come in with a different religious point of view. That's where we need to be able to have that discussion at least yeah. because there is it, it isn't a binary thing. It's not a... Our country either needs to be completely mixed or it needs to be just white mm. or just Indian or just Japanese, right? But there, there, there is somewhere on that continuum where the benefits of either mixing it up or keeping it homogenous starts to fade away and become potentially negative, right? And yeah. that's what's gonna, that's what's happening in Japan, as far as I know, with their aging population because they don't rely on There's no immigration. immigration. Yeah. Then they're suffering economically, and they're going to have to change something up mm. in the future to try and deal with that. And you know, yeah, and look, you know, Japan's an interesting sort of economic case, and I'm not an economist, so apologies to all my economist friends. But yeah, Japan is an interesting sort of economic case study in that sense, in that. It's a very old culture. Uh, you know, modern Japanese culture is hundreds of years old. The m truly modern Japanese economy was created after the Second World War. You know, so their economy was based on you know, coming out of losing a war. And they relied on becoming the world's biggest manufacturer of manufactured goods for general household use electronic goods toys you know all of those sort of things that we spend thousands of dollars a year on um, were traditionally you know certainly for the 1950s 60s and 70s 90 percent of them were made in japan then china came along and lots of other smaller economies decided that they could make some of these things as well and so made in japan went to made in china um, and so that easy cheap stuff that you used to be able to get out of Japan um, got taken over by China and the high quality electronic goods got taken over by South Korea. And so South Korea is by, is now the most mm. technologically you know, developed country in the world. So they've, they've moved into where Japan was and, and China have dropped, taken the bottom out of the Japan, Japanese economy. So they're really not left with much. Uh, now, they're still doing pretty well, but with the ageing population as well, it's just a different economic structure from the one that was set up 70 years ago. Uh, so, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting case study of, of sort of national economic strategies and where you go and combined with that hundreds of years old culture as well. It's a, uh, it's a really interesting one. I, you know, I don't 
studied, I haven't studied much of Japanese history, uh, but it's a, it's a really interesting case. I think back to the what is Australian culture, mm. the thing that we should be talking about when we do talk about culture is more our values, right? Our shared yeah. values. And that's what needs to be protected. And that's the main reason so many immigrants want to come to our countries because of the values that we have that they share, that they're trying to adopt and escape from places or regimes where those values aren't yes. held up. And the problem is that we have to work out a way of taking in a fair number of people for our own benefit whilst working out at what point do we need to sort of taper that off to maintain the values, to allow these people to, you know, switch over, become quote-unquote Australian in, in, in terms of their culture and value systems. Because, yeah, if you suddenly put... 25 million Japanese people in Australia, it's no longer Australia, yes. right? If you suddenly put 25 million people in the place of Japan and the, there's no Japanese people there, it's no longer Japan, right? It's yeah. not just ge geography. So, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the future, though, because, yeah, like the coronavirus and how everyone's trying to deal with it in different ways, it seems like people are trying to deal with globalism in, in different ways. Yeah, and it, I think the... And look, I'm hardly one to start predicting what's going to happen on a global economic basis, but uh, it will be interesting to look at what happens with the as we move out of this coronavirus situation into a new global economy. Um, I think globalization is going; it'll still be there. It'll always be there because we now have, you know, fifty percent of the stuff I buy now comes from overseas. Yeah. Yeah, other than food, and wow. half of that comes from overseas. But, um, yeah, I'd buy it on the internet. Yeah, buy it on eBay for 20 bucks, and it'll come out of the United States or somewhere in Europe or China Hong Kong, or yeah. Hong Kong or wherever, or Japan, um, and it arrives on my doorstep five days later, you know, pre-coronavirus. Now it's five weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so we're in a global economy, and we can't get out of that. Uh, because now just from your average person buying and selling things, um, we can buy and sell to anywhere in the world. We don't yeah. need our country to do that on our behalf. And then we choose what we buy or what we sell based on what comes in or goes out of our country. So I think that's going to change now because who knows when we're going to be traveling internationally again you know, yeah. in a big way. Um uh, that's my Qantas shares are going down the toilet, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, so yeah, we may well end up with a meta country with New Zealand in the medium term. Where what do you mean by that? Well, we will treat each other like a single country in terms of not in terms of politics and so on, but in terms of travel. Uh, I think as soon as we open up in Australia, as soon as we open up travel interstate, allowing people to fly interstate, then we'll open up travel to and from New Zealand. Because we can pretty much do whatever we want in terms of going there without visas and staying there permanently, yeah, right? But yeah, we just can't get um, government payments. I don't, I don't think so, right? New Zealanders can't move to Australia and just be like, give me the doll or give me Medicare. I'm not sure. Yes, they can. Can they? No yeah. kidding. We, have, we You don't need to be... You can be a New Zealand citizen, move to Australia, and you're all automatically entitled to the same government payments is my, my understanding all right um, and they say we're racist yeah we, we let new zealanders in with nothing yeah so yeah when i first went to new zealand you didn't i didn't have a passport you didn't need a passport yeah. to go to new zealand you were just it was like in just like it was like flying to perth yeah you know you just flying to auckland get off the plane and away you go yeah <laughs> so the last story i had here before we finish up was the norfolk island moor pork i think it's a moor pork owl 
Is that yeah, what it's called? More yeah. pork owl? We would call them a booble cow in southern Australia. So, so these guys have booble. made a major breakthrough for the rare species. They were, they are one of the world's rarest owls, and they have only recently had two owl chicks survive to become fledglings, mm. which is the first time in 10 years. So there have been no known successful breeding seasons since 2011, and there are less than 50 more pork owls in the wild in Norfolk Island, and the population declined all the way down to a single female in 1980. Mm. So, it was effectively extinct. But it was brought back by New Zealander owls that were brought over and then released. Um, So, it was an interesting story. Every owl now has a lineage that goes back to that one female. And um, I guess technically they're hybrid subspecies, though. Yes. Well, I think the New Zealand uh, one was the same subspecies. It wasn't the New Zealand. It yeah. wasn't a New, the New Zealand. I, my understanding was that the New Zealand bird was more related to the Norfolk Island bird than the Southern Australian birds were. Yeah. Um, hence, taking one from New Zealand. So, I mean, whether we call them subspecies or species or whatever, I mean, I don't tell you. This it's is arbitrary. your profession. Yeah. Um, it's completely arbitrary. Uh, but my understanding is that from a DNA perspective, the Norfolk Island bird was more related to the New Zealand one. So, yeah, it's they're they're now a hybrid. They're not the pure Norfolk Island birds anymore. Yeah. But, but they've, yeah, they've produced these hybrids in order mm. to conserve the species. And in order to help, though, they've had to try and really reduce um, rat predators. Yes. Um, yeah. Building nest boxes. And that has led to the first chicks in over 10 years. But what do you think in terms of that sort of conservation? Is it useful in terms of... Are you, are you actually conserving the species by creating hybrids? Because the interesting situation for broader context in Australia, for instance, is that we have dingoes on the mainland, but we don't consider them dingoes anymore because they've hybridised with dogs. Yeah. Um, and so, they're wild dogs that we now kill and don't let roam wild, <laughs> yeah. but they look like dingoes and they potentially behave like dingoes. Yes. So, it's weird that we have these double standards in this situation yeah. where- Sometimes it end, works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, in the end, I think it comes down to there's a. It's the old thing. I mean, having worked at the zoo at Melbourne Zoo for three years, and people would often ask, "Well, what's the purpose of a zoo?" And the purpose of zoos went from entertainment to conservation yeah. over a period of decades. You can't throw peanuts at the elephants yeah, anymore. All those sort of <laughs> things. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and that's conservation on multiple levels but the two big ones are that zoos can work in breeding programs that will ultimately increase populations to where the wild populations can then be you know added to so you yeah. can release back into the wild the second thing is it's about conservation education and i put this you know norfolk island moorpork into that conservation education thing Frankly, 99.999% of people in the world are not even going to know, let alone care, if that one female bird had died and that the species, subspecies population went extinct. The fact that we can and have successfully maintained a population and now it is self-breeding, I think then comes here. It's a signature Project. Look what we can do. It's the look what we can do, and that gets people excited about opportunities for what we can do. Yeah, you know, we lost the last northern black rhino in the world a couple of years ago. You know, where the last northern black rhino was a male, and he died. Yeah. Which and is a subspecies of black rhinos. Subspecies of black rhinos. Um, <clears throat> and we didn't have that opportunity. Uh, there weren't any females around that we could continue that subspecies. 
Uh, I've actually, you're speaking of Norfolk Island birds, I've donated money to another bird conservation project in Norfolk Island, which is a little green parakeet. Yeah. Um, they're, again, very rare. Um, and the reason I donated money to it was because of what they were doing with it is that they, uh, the group that were working on them um, took Phillip Island, which is a little island off the coast of Norfolk Island, and I thought you were talking about the one in no, Victoria. Not the one in Victoria. No, <laughs> like, everybody that's, that's thinks that. As soon as you say Phillip Island, they go, oh, penguins, penguins. and koalas. <laughs> yeah. Um, and great white sharks. Yeah. Uh, no, that's it's serious. a, it's where you, it's, it's a small island that, um, for about 10 years, uh, there was a lot of effort. G'day, mate. That was the first half of this episode of The Goss. If you would like to continue watching or continue listening to this episode, make sure that you sign up for the premium podcast or academy memberships at aussieenglish.com.au where you will get full access to these entire episodes of this series and much, much more. You can go check that out using the links below or just go to aussieenglish.com.au. Once again, Thank you so much for joining me, mate, and I will see you next time. Peace.